couple of years ago on a vacation, um, we thought, wouldn't it be awesome to go down to the beach uh, and, and have some vacation time on the beach? And so we went down. We're on the Atlantic Ocean down in uh, South Carolina. We thought, this is going to be awesome. The water's going to be beautiful. It's going to be like bathtub temperature. It's going to be hot tub temperature. That's how warm the water's going to be. And it's just going to be an absolutely amazing time, right? It seems like such an idyllic vacation spot, right? You're laying on the sand in the sun. There's like a soft breeze that's flowing in off the water. You're listening to the rhythmic waves that are crashing in with the occasional interruption of laughter of kids carried on the wind that just keeps you from falling into that deep sleep on the beach. Doesn't it sound nice? You're all like on your phones on Expedia trying to book a vacation now. But before you do... The thing is, the reality, though, the reality is we don't often live in those idyllic moments, do we? Even when we go on vacation, it's never quite what we hoped or imagined it would be for us. Our visit to the beach that that time was an experience of scorching hot sand that you could not walk on unless you had flip-flops or some footwear on. It was so hot. The wind was gusty and it would blow things away on the beach or blow sand onto you. It was just, it was, it was not the experience we were looking for. The waves that were crashing in were quite powerful waves. They weren't just nice crashing waves that you listened to. If you went into them, they would tumble and knock you over type of waves. Not to mention the shark warning from the shark that was at the pier just a little bit down from where we were. Not the idyllic moment that we were picturing. So back to the hotel pool it was. Doesn't it seem that often we are living in a time when crisis seems to pile on like those waves? Doesn't it seem like that? They're just crashing in one after another. And we look for an escape. We look for a pause or a way out, anything. Just get me back to the shore, away from the waves. Get me back to the hotel pool. In crisis, though, there's an invitation from God to go deeper. And it seems antithetical to common sense that when the waves are crashing, that we would go deeper. But when we go deeper, what we want to do is we want to get past that break. Because as crisis comes one after the other, how we are trusting in God in one season probably isn't going to be sufficient for the next season. It's time to trust God deeper. And when you look back, this is scratching against my, there we go. When you look back, the waves that were crashing violently are now just rolling waves because of who God is in those circumstances. So one of the ways that God reveals himself to us is as provider. And in this series, we want to talk about what a deeper trust looks like in regard to God providing for us. See, in both the Old Testament of the Bible and the New Testament, if you're not unfamiliar with the Bible, it's kind of split into two sections. The Old Testament, which takes up the majority of our scripture, and then the New Testament, which is the second half that talks about the life of Christ and, and the early church. 
And in both Testaments, God reveals his nature, his character, or his personhood through how he refers to himself, through the name that he gives himself. And it's always like a, a descriptive name. His name gives the reader the imagery needed to understand who he is. Because if I just say, I'm Jeff, it doesn't really tell you who much, how, that much about me, does it? But if I tell you, like, I am Jeff the mediocre golfer. I am Jeff the Saturday riding lawnmower cutter. I am Jeff the pastor. I am Jeff the, you know, husband of one wife and father of six kids. I start telling you those things descriptively, and it gives you a better picture of who I am. That's what, that's what he does. Similar to what we do in culture, everything from... George of the Jungle gives you an idea of who, who he was, right? Rocket Richard, you know, gives you an idea of who he is, flying on the ice like a rocket. Man of Steel, I just have to say that, and we all know we're talking about Superman. Spider-Man gives you an idea of what he is. He has something to do with spiders and something like that. Or for the younger kids, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. I know I don't look anything like Dwayne The Rock Johnson, so I, don't, I know you're not going to confuse me for him. But God shares with us who he is. In this moment, what we're talking about is this. God is Jehovah Jireh. And the meaning of that is the God who provides. He says his name is, I am your provider. I am the God that provides. That's how you can know me. I am the provider. And for that, for us, that means uh, to be trusted, God has to be greater than the circumstances or the crises we're facing. If he's going to be provider, that means he needs to have more in him than the crisis we're facing. Otherwise, it's not that much help. You don't need the help of a person, another person who can't swim when you can't swim and they jump in to help you and they can't swim either. That's not going to be of much help. You need somebody who can overcome the circumstances you're facing. And that's more than just a mentality and assenting that up there some greater force is greater than my problems. But trusting that he actually will be actively greater than your circumstances. And it also means that we understand that provision is not only what God does, but it's who God is. But then this brings us to the very real problem with how we view provision, how we view it. We can potentially end up with some contradictions from our view, from our perspective. If you have enough, then it's easy to see God as provider, right? If, if, if your bank account has a decent amount of money in it and your, your living situation's pretty good, you can get to work, you have a job, everything seems to be going okay, it's easy to see God as provider because you say, look, he's provided. But when you don't have enough, you may struggle with the idea of saying, God is my provider. And if... We look around, we can say, if God is a provider, sure, I may have some, but how come so many of his children, so many people who call him God and have decided to follow him, how come so many of them are lacking? thing is this, there's kind of like an equation. It's not a formula. Don't think of it as a formula, but think of the idea of what we're talking about. 
There's God providing, but then there's the enemy that steals. And then there's our choices, us and others. And that equals our perspective regarding provision. God provides minus what the enemy steals, plus or minus our choices in it all. And that comes to where our perspective is. And sometimes perspective is everything. It can be everything. Uh, let me see here. I'm going to do a little, a little experiment here, somebody. Uh, let's see. I'm going to pick on somebody. Everybody's like slinking down in their seats. Uh, Rakesh, come on up here. Come on up, Rakesh. Don't worry. I'm not going to make you say anything. You're not going to have to tell everybody your favorite Bible verses or take over my message or anything like that. But Rakesh, I want you to look out here. Look out on the audience, okay? Now I'm going to (laughs) leave. Now, but Rakesh, when you're standing there, it's a completely different perspective of the crowd, isn't it? You can see who's on their phone, who's paying attention, who's, who's almost falling asleep, and who's taking notes. It's a completely different perspective than where you are sitting back there, isn't it? You can see the people around you when you're sitting back there, the back of everybody's head, everything like that, whose collar is on straight or not. But now you see everybody's faces. Totally different perspective, isn't it? Awesome. Thank you very much. Yeah. Give a great hand for Rakesh. If you haven't met him, he's a lovely man. Him and his wife, Savannah, are excellent. You need to meet them. They're beautiful people. But it's a totally different perspective when you're sitting up here with the lights on you and you're seeing everybody's faces compared to sitting in, in the side and near the back section there. Totally different perspective. And here's the thing. Every single one of us is sitting out there looking at the perspective of what's going on versus seeing what God sees when he's looking at all of us. Now, give me I'm not up here saying I'm anything like God like that. But that's how God sees things, totally different. And we need to just stop and pause and realize that our perspective on God's provision might not look the same as his perspective or even somebody else's. So let's dive into this a little bit. During his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus asks an insightful question. In Matthew 6, it says this, Look at the birds of the air. They either neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But first, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. A couple things I want to point out in the scripture. First, when it says for all the, gent- for the Gentiles seek these things, take that as those who are not following Jesus. Those who are not pursuing a life of following God. Because right? he's speaking to a, a bunch of people from Israel who are trying to follow God. They're waiting for the Messiah that Jesus was. And so when he refers to Gentiles, he's meaning those who aren't of the faith, who don't believe that God is their provider and God's going to take care of them. They're seeking after, how do I take care of all my, how do I get all these things? How do I take care of all this stuff? But if we know that God cares for us and is providing for us, we've got it under control. 
second thing I want to point out in there, this is not even in my notes, is that I, w- I want to just point out something there, when it's, especially when it comes to giving. Uh, I know we don't talk about giving a lot here. Uh, we remind you that there's an option to give, and we don't talk about it. But oftentimes we get hung up on, when can I give? And I need to make sure I'm, I'm good first before I start giving to God. Because I need to make sure I'm paying my phone bills and my everything bills before I can start giving a bit to the church. But I, I challenge you in that, just even looking on this passage here, why are you worried about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear or how you're going to take care of yourself? Your heavenly Father who knows what you need, knows that you need them all. But seek his kingdom first and his righteousness And then everything will be added unto you. If we take that principle of seeking God first in everything, we seek God, we give to God, we seek his kingdom first, and then trust that he's going to take care of everything. It's a principle that will provide you with everything you need. Because God honors you in that. So I just want to give you something to think about there. And now we'll dive back into our message. In that scripture, Jesus affirms our value. He says, are you of not more value than they? And he also acknowledges that he understands our needs. He's not ignorant of the fact that we have literal needs. We have mortgage payments or rent payments. And we can look at our kids and go, man, they haven't had new shoes in forever. And I need to get them new shoes. Or their backpack has holes in it. And I'm sending them off to school with that. Or I'm giving them like, like not a healthy lunch for school. There's all sorts of things that can be pressures that we face. And God knows every single one of them. But then he invites us deeper to change our perspective And the deeper position that Jesus seems to be inviting us to consider is this. Do you view provision through the lens of your plans or of God's purpose? Do you see it through the lens of your plans or do you see it through God's purpose? What dictates the provision that you think you need? Is it you Is it society telling you what you must have in order to be successful in this world? Or is it God that is setting out, this is what it looks like for you. This is my purpose for you in my kingdom. Does that drive you as far as knowing what provision looks like? And we may want to answer that question altruistically and say, yeah, yeah, I know that. That's how God is. But the friction of what we really believe is greatly challenged, and we can, we can be seen in how we respond to this. God provides equally, but not always evenly. God provides equally, but not always evenly. Equally means this. On any given day, God provides for each one of us. He provides us with identical hours, minutes, and seconds in our day. He provides identical offers of salvation, grace, truth, community. He offers that all to everyone. And in speaking on how to love and have grace, God also spoke to a general provision for no matter your beliefs. He he says this in Matthew 5, for he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. 
No matter who you are, there is a general level of provision that God has for us. But what we need to understand is that God provides each of us with what we need to fulfill his purpose in our lives. When it comes to God's purposes and our plans, there's always a gap. And this gap is either going to be filled with a deepening trust in him or a widening fear or mistrust in God. Now, see, provision can be uneven for a number of reasons. It could be the decisions of others that have affected us greatly. It could be a generational thing. Your, your family has made decisions, and that has caused a, a trickle-down effect on you. Somebody else's decisions in life, a business partner, has, has messed you up, and it has caused problems for you. The place where you are working is laying off, and that is having an effect on you. The decisions, it also could be the decisions that we've made in the past that have repercussions in the present. Or it could be this. It could be the enemy that's robbing or killing or stealing because he has an access. He has access to an area of our lives. Or it could be that our plan is different from God's purpose. We, say, we said yes somewhere where we should have said no or vice versa. Our provision can also be uneven for a number of different reasons. It could be this. Billy Graham had a very different purpose than Mother Teresa. Were they both trying to share the gospel any way they could? Yes. But the provision needed for their, their, both their purposes was completely different. You have a completely different purpose than I do. And thus, we're going to have a different provision for the purpose that God has for us. God isn't asking you to be me or Billy Graham or Mother Teresa or anyone else. He wants you to be you and for you to fulfill your purpose with his provision. If we fix our eyes on someone else's provision, all we'll see is what is uneven we'll lose sight of what God has actually provided us. And this will show up in our lives as looking like there's, there's no peace or contentment with who we are and what we're doing and where we're going. We're just at constant unease because somewhere in there, we're off kilter with God's provision for our lives. For example, God's provision for Max. Maybe to lead a life group in church and, and be an amazing life group leader in a church. But Max has a dream of being a pastor. There's going to be no peace for Max. There's no provision for Max. And ultimately, there'll be this widening gap where he just doesn't feel like God is, is with him in this. So there's this disconnect between how other people see what Max is supposed to be doing and what he's really doing. Our provision and our purpose are tied together. And sometimes we don't see God as provider because we have this skewed perspective. And out of a me-focused perspective, we focus most on the uneven and not the equal portion of God's provision. And in that, the devil will show you uneven provision everywhere. Everywhere you look, he'll, he'll point out, oh, look what they've got. 
Oh, look how God just blessed them. Oh, look at this, look at that. Everywhere you look, you'll be like, well, why hasn't God done that for me? How come they have that and I have this? He'll point it out everywhere, hoping to take your eyes off of God. So how do we reorient our perspectives? How do we figure out and see provision the way God has it for us? Focus on what God has entrusted to you and steward it obediently, okay? Focus on what God has entrusted to you and steward it obediently. Another challenge to seeing God as provider is is because we live our lives in a paradox. God's calling us to hold two truths equally and they seem to be at odds with each other. God is provider, and yet we're looking for a job. We're looking for financial margin or security or or increase somewhere. The Apostle Paul, an early church leader and writer of a large portion of the New Testament, when talking on this subject, shared it like this in Philippians 4. He says, I don't say this out of need, meaning, can you help me out here? For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul learned, most likely through trial and error, the fullness of God's provision. God's provision isn't always material. He often provides strength for our spirit. When Jesus was speaking to his disciples, he shared, again, a contradictory perspective for them. He said this in Luke 21. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. That's betrayal. And some of you, they will put to death. You will be hated for my name's sake. But then he says, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. How does that work? How can you be hated and betrayed and potentially seeing death, and yet not a hair on your head will be harmed? I just took care of that, so I don't have to worry about any hairs being harmed. But how does that work? How can you do that? How can you not be killed, but, you know, or be killed and not be harmed at all? In the not a hair on your head, will perish. That's Jesus speaking of an eternal truth in Christ, that you have all that you need to endure suffering, to endure hard things. The eternal reality of who you are cannot be harmed by the trials that you face in this moment here on earth. He speaks for how believers, nothing can ultimately harm them if they continue to walk in step with God. Any pain we experience now is temporary, and followers of Jesus will be vindicated when he returns. Suffering in our present life is not the result of God punishing us. The disciples and Jesus himself suffered because of their faithfulness. 
God never allows trials or punishes people in this life from a stance of, how dare you? You're an awful person. I'm going to do this to you. But from a posture of love and care, we see trials as a call to return to walking step and growing closer to him. And this makes all the difference. And when living through a paradox, the temptation is to lose sight of the eternal by overly focusing on the temporary, here, now. And as Jesus said, the key for us in all of this is that faithful endurance. We see our next steps, the potential, maybe a rough road ahead, but if we fix our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith, we will have what we need. As a community, as the body of Christ, we need to also look at how crises invites the entire church community to go deeper. In Revelation, which is the last book in the Bible that we, we see, a book by one of the disciples, John, and he wrote it under God's inspiration. There's, there's seven churches that he talks about in that book in different geographical regions. And the churches have received an equal gospel, an equal provisions for expanding the kingdom of God where they were. But they face different temptations from the enemy and unique cultural pressures due to, again, living in various and unique cultural regions. And just like uh, the church in Cornwall, here is different than the church in Canada or a church in Kelowna or a church in Karachi. One of those churches that he, he talks about is a church in Smyrna, and that's in ancient Turkey, not down in in, in Georgia. And they have, they've put into practice living this, in a para, this paradox, focusing on their next step while keeping their eyes fixed on the eternal prize. And he says to them there, he says, I know your tribula- tribulation and your poverty, but you are so rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, uh, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, The devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation, but be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. There's something about keeping your eyes on the prize. There's something about not worrying as much about what we face here as in what we will see in the future. Another church is in Laodicea, its affluence uh, had made it lukewarm. They were a well-off church, and so they were, they were just chilling and thinking that things were good. And in a sense, they are the picture of a, of a group of people whose very success and comfort and abundance, uh, in which they trusted as provision, had become a snare for them. And this is a historic deception that, that churches with affluence can often fall prey to, believing that they don't, need God to see their mission fulfilled. That they can control darkness through the power of their compassion or wisdom or technology or intellect or sophistication. That their funds or their broadcast or merchandising or charisma will win the day. The perspective of God, though, was this, as we read. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. 
not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. When we think we have it all and we, we think that we can do it and we don't need to say, God, if I, my next step isn't in you, then I can't take my next step. If I don't have you as my provider, then I don't have anything. If we don't see everything we have as, as nothing, or as the old, the old uh, hymn says, like, in, in light of God, if, if the world doesn't grow strangely dim in the light of him, then we're missing where our provision is coming from and what our provision is for. So what does Jesus implore this church to do? Seek provision from God's perspective. And as a church, we also need to understand God's provision for us here in Cornwall. We're not Harvest or First Baptist or Cornwall Pentecostal or Fountain Gate or wherever. We're none of those churches. So what is God's provision for us? How do we steward that well? How do each one of us bring the provision that God has given us into the church for his glory? It is there that we will see God's provision and power our mission here in Cornwall. As we close today, I have a series of reflective questions for us this week. And maybe we'll touch your heart and help you grow and move forward with God. The first one is this. What are you focusing on? What are you focusing on? If you're not focusing on God's provision, if you're focusing on unequalness, maybe there's a chance for you to repent if you've been envious of God's provision for others. Second question, what has God entrusted to you? How are you stewarding that right now? And are there changes you should make with what God has entrusted you with and how you're stewarding it? Have you been facing God's correction. What steps do you need to take to begin to once again walk in step with his purpose for your life? Are you facing opposition, trials, or hardship? Then keep your eyes fixed on the author and the perfecter of your faith. And lastly, as a church... How has God placed you here as a part of the provision needed to fulfill our purpose? And if you're not living in that, what's your next step in living that out? When we switch our perspective on how we see God being our provider, we see it from a perspective of God providing to fulfill his purpose. You can totally change how we come to God and say, you are my provider. Let's pray. Jehovah Jireh, God is our provider. That can be a name or a statement that triggers people into looking at the lack versus looking at the abundance of who you are, God. 
And I pray as a church and as individuals today, your word will help us refocus on what does it mean that you are our provider. To help get us, uh, take our focus off of the need and onto the one who provides for the need. Whether that is materially or that is, that is in strength to endure whatever it is that you give us to, to endure or to move forward or to get through the crises we're facing, even when they seem to come wave after wave and there doesn't seem to be a break, that often means we need to come deeper into you and trust you more. We may feel like we've trusted you. We may feel like we've given it all, but we're human. And there's, there's seemingly always a little bit more that we can give to you, a little bit more that we can trust you with, Another day dawning that we have to say, God, you're in control. You're the provider of everything I need for this day. So God, I pray that you'd work in each and every one of our hearts as we wrestle that out. As we wrestle out not having enough or not feeling like there's enough. When we wrestle out looking around at others and thinking, man, they seem to have a lot that we take our eyes off of those things, the unevenness of those things, to look at the equal provision that you provide to each and every one of us for your purpose. You will be our provider. It's your name. It's not just what you do. It's who you are. And if anything, God, may we rest on that and we meditate on it, that you are our provider from grace to salvation to love to the clothes we need to the food we need to eat to the place we need to live in you are our provider and we're going to call on you in your name in Jesus name we pray amen